Hello, welcome to the podcast. My name is Father Peter. You are moving fast, man. Dude, I, you know That's what? Right. You know what happened is that uh, I went skiing in Vail for for uh, lucky. Two days. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm a little jealous of you. Two dude, days in Vail. Yeah, dude. What? But Ooh. you know what the weird thing about skiing is, though, uh, is that um, is that uh, it's simultaneously so fast and so slow. Uh-huh. It is both things. Oh, like the chairlift. Well, yeah, but like but, the waiting for the skiing. Yeah, well, the skiing itself is fast. Maybe you're doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is fast. But then after you're done, you know how slow you are. You're like, oh, I can't use I my see. body okay. anymore. All right, so all now right, what? Right. What happens is that my body. I feel like I should amputate something. I'm not quite <laughs> sure what it is because everything hurts. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't um, know to, yeah. I don't know um, what to say to that. But but so so like my mind is fast, but my body is slow. So you don't have to amputate your brain. Uh, dude, thank you. I mm. I like my cerebral cortex. Yeah, I'm mean, just think of your body as just a, a mechanism to move your head from room to room, and then, <laughs> and then you'll be fine. Dude, that's like um, that's like a uh, Baron von Munchausen. <laughs> what <laughs> the the the, the Moon King and Baron the the Adventures of Baron von Munchausen? I don't know anything that you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, man. Well, hey, I love you, you though. Yeah, I love you too. Thanks, and man. Guess what, you guys? We've got two very exciting things two, coming up. Can I make a shout out really quick before we shout get into it all that? Out. I just want to shout out. Um, Let it all out. I met a lot of awesome guys at. I was at. Um, a men's conference for the Diocese of Richmond in Virginia over the weekend. And I just met some amazing men of God there striving for holiness. Uh, I want to give a particular shout out to Chris, what, who's what? Um, doing the hard work of holiness in the real world. And just all those guys yeah. that I met down there. So if any of you are listeners, um, shout out to you guys. Thanks for letting me join you for the weekend. Uh, and thank you for what you're doing. Um, so, okay. Kay. So Big two, announcements. two very thank exciting for, things. Thank you for letting me say that. Okay. Today is Wednesday. That is, right? That we're yes, recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, maybe we'll publish today. Are you thinking about publishing today? I hadn't thought it through, but maybe I will. Okay. Well, what's exciting is come th- Friday. Okay. This coming um, Friday? This, Next Friday. This coming Friday. So, so two 20, days from today. 8th, 29th. Oh, yeah, 29th. 29th. Okay, so the 29th at 5 to 7 p.m. in Seattle, Washington. Seattle, Washington. Um, uh, I am going to be there. Scott, you're not going to be there. I'm not, I'm going to be there. We're going to have a little lanky guy listener holy holy hour, happy hour. Way to subtly just make it lanky guy. You didn't even emphasize it. You just so, so casually... Did, did I say? That. Did I say that? Yeah, but you're really well done, like in a really good way. Yeah, yeah. So I was uh, ready to correct you. No, it's just one lanky guy, Father Peter. Uh, you already did it. So, so, um, so this Friday, Seattle, Washington, Seattle, Washington, five to seven p.m. at the Queen Anne Beer Hall. I'm gonna be there Ooh. with my friend Gage Shirley, and we're gonna just get together some lanky guy listeners hanging out in Seattle. I wonder yeah. who's up in Seattle. I know Jen Lozier's up in Seattle, and Heather oh, Lozier, Will Peteroy. Colin oh, Parrish. Well, you got a whole bunch of people that you know yeah, up in yeah. Seattle. Yeah. See, I'm jealous of everything you're doing. I'm jealous of Vail. I'm jealous of Seattle. Two of my favorite places. I know. Although I got to go to Richmond, Virginia, which was cool. I've never been to Seattle. I went so to Williamsburg. Williamsburg. <laughs> my anyway. grandfather's name is William. Oh, no, my God. Yeah, so it is his burg. Seattle. Virginia. Queen Anne Beer Hall. Five to, 5 to 7 p.m. This that would be this Western. Friday. That would be Pacific 29th, time. 29th. 29th. Pacific, Pacific time. time. So don't show up on it's not, Eastern it's, Standard it's Time. It's not a specific, it's a Pacific. Okay, here okay. we go. Okay, the next big announcement. So excited about it. This is a big one. Yep. April 4th. The 4th of April. So that's uh, in two Thursdays, right? Ye- the feast yeah. day of St. Isidore of Sevilla. St. Isidore of Seville, who is the patron saint of the internet. Internet. Happens to be his feast day. Patron. We are doing our annual Lenten 
campaign, our spring campaign, trying to raise money for the ministry that we do here. And I, I was just sitting down with, with one of the other folks here at the parish, and we were talking through kind of why we do this and why this this is an important part of the ministry. One, one of my things that I'm always trying to, to reconcile is, is the podcast, because the we have fun on the podcast, and this is neat, and we have so many great listeners out there, but is it consistent with the work that we're doing here at St. Thomas Aquinas? Is it a part of the ministry? And to to the degree that, you know, what you hired me to do is the intellectual formation here, Absolutely. and to do teaching and formation. And so to the degree that our Aquinas Institute can be a go-to for not just people here at CU or in Boulder, but all over the country and the world to actually come for Catholic intellectual thought and be able to work through the scriptures together. Right. I'm so honored to be able to do that. And so to me, this is this is a perfect outcropping of the ministry here, which is housed in a major intellectual center. So to yes. the degree that we can be offering intellectual formation. And I mean, the whole point of this, the whole point of everything that we're doing, it's not just we're not sitting here to hear ourselves talk. We're hoping that you're not here to just hear ourselves talk. We're here to help people get more out of the mass, right? Well, to, to to have the word of God speak. It's not right. it's like we want the word, right? We and want to point away from us. Right. We are boneheads. Let's be honest about it. <laughs> kind of goofballs. Thank, thanks for that. <laughs> you bet. And so we want to help the priests to help their parishioners get more out of mass. We want people with you know crying kids or distractions or just whatever else. Just be able to encounter the person of Christ, not only in the Eucharist at the Mass, but in the Word of God made written and made proclaimed. Because these are the two highest functions of the Mass, to give us the Word of God made flesh and the Word yeah. of God made written. You know, I was just I was just talking with um, with the priest who does formation for young seminarians around the Mass, and I was just talking about how, how like, it's, uh, uh, it's semin- not young seminarians, but sem- seminarians are about to be, be priests. All of the which fourth, happen to be young. Many of theology. them happen yeah, to yeah, be they, young. Yeah, they happen to be young. But just talking about how, like, um, how easy it is, like, it is the primary interface between um, the priest and the people. Mm. And, and, and yeah. how do we interface and how do we know each other but in word and sacrament? Yeah, absolutely. and so in in a real way, like actually, that's kind of what you and I are doing. Like, you know what I'd we like are to interfacing. Yeah, we are interfacing. <laughs> this is our digital interface. <laughs> um, I I would think about it, and you know what the one of my favorite parts about our podcast is. Tell me, is that you as a layman um, have had the opportunity to study the scriptures with the fullness of your life. Mm. And it, it's funny because it's kind of a diaconal, it's a diaconal spirit mm. because I, the, the, there's so many things that a priest actually um, works himself through. I mean, you have you have the 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 munera, the you know teaching, preaching, sanctifying, governance, mm. um, and so like I, so I just I just think about mm. that, and I'm like so thankful that there's this kind of like really beautiful giving back of the laity to mm. the to the priest to be able to form and then respond back in the mass. So there's like there's actually something really profound here that I that I feel like is an ideal that was born at St. John Vianney in the early days of, of, of our seminary. Sometimes I try to see myself as um, remember when uh, who is it? It's Joshua and Aaron, right? Who are whole, in the story of Exodus who are holding up Moses's hands. Yes. Remember he's got his hands raised and as long as his hands are raised the Israelites are sort of protected in this battle. Yes. But his hands are tired and he's exhausted and this is a big job. And so the job of the laity is to hold up the hands of the priest to serve so that you are able to serve the rest of us. Mm. That's in a lot of ways how I try to see my job here. Well, I'm really honored to do it. Well, what's kind of cool now is let's think about that, but that's yeah. actually you and me holding up the hands of those out there. Because oh, Aaron was a priest. Priests Aaron's, are allowed to do it. Yeah, priests are allowed to They're do cool. it. That's actually like a priestly service. 
service of yeah. the of the mission that that we have all been consecrated. Ooh, to. Oh, check it out! Check it out! You got Moses, right? Yep. And then Aaron and Joshua. Aaron is a priest. Joshua is a layperson. That's you and me. That's you and me, dude. That's you and me, dude. You, you could start to call me Aaron, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will indeed. All right. All right. So all that being said, next, uh, in two, two Thursdays, April 4th, we're doing a live show. You're going to be streaming it live on Facebook. If you're around Boulder, come to Drogos. Check it out. We're trying to raise $20,000 again this year. We were so successful last year. We're doing it again to keep this ministry going, to keep it alive uh, in 24 hours. So that day, we had great success in the past, and we decided to do it again. So help us um, use the internet in a very real way on the feast day of St. Isidore, who's the patron saint of the internet. Yep. Help us use the internet to evangelize and proclaim the gospel and, and build to, up the church. And to hold up the hands of those who are in real mission who literally lean their whole lives out on the word of God. Indeed. Yeah. Like, that's that's like, I've been listening to... Um, uh, to an audiobook, particularly um, um, uh, what Robinson Crusoe, and uh, and what's actually really beautiful is like Robinson Crusoe, like literally I mean, leans rabbits in. and Caruso, rabbits and Caruso. That sounds the... like a fancy like farm to table restaurant. <laughs> if I ever lose my job here, I'm starting a fancy restaurant called Rabbits and Caruso. Sorry, Robinson Crusoe. You're Robin doing... Caruso. Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> dude, <laughs> Sorry, dude totally this is you yeah, yeah. We better get to this podcast. All right. Speaking so. of the Word of God. Yeah. Um. But Our... Robinson Crusoe oh, leans yeah. into the Word of God, like oh. you guys, and we want to hold you up so that your mission is is totally. Uh, righteous, holy, filled with life and goodness. So well, we're into the third Sunday of Lent. Fourth. You live oh, in the past, man. man. What did, oh, fourth Sunday of Lent. You oh, were, yeah, actually, I had it past. right. Um, which is funny because it's uh, in the background. It's Saint Guy of Pomosa. Oh, my. Saint, G-U-Y? Yeah, Saint, Saint Guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's the Saint Guy. I know that we had Ski, but like... Oh, is it? I knew a guy named Guy. You named... I named a guy named Guy. Really? Yeah. Wasn't there a guy named Guy like on the Muppets? He was like the news reporter. I can't remember was that guy. Guy or maybe maybe Sesame Street. But Guy Anyway, is, I knew a guy as well. Guy is almost as also homophobic for the oil that comes from butter that you can use. Oh, Guy. G H E E. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. yeah, and uh, Gordon Guy was the president <laughs> of Metro <laughs> down <we> in Denver. <laughs> that's true. Okay, fourth Sunday of reading, the first reading. Joshua, what do you know? Fourth Sunday of reading. Does, no, is that's that what not you just true. said? Nope. Okay, fourth yeah, Sunday of reading. That's yeah. not what you meant. Yeshua, mm. chapter 5, verse 9a, jumping the half of the other half to 10 to 12. <laughs> we skipped the part about circumcision. No, man. That, we, that... we cut it out. Oh, we were very circumspect about it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not so much. All right, our, our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 34, verse 2 to 3, 4 to 5, and 6 to 7. And Sec- the response itself is 9a. 9a. Which is the same as where the first reading ends, 9a. <laughs> That's the theme this week. Nine A's. <laughs> okay, second reading, Second Corinthians mm. five seventeen to twenty one. Nothing special. It's I mean, everything it, special. The whole thing's special, but there's oh, no special divisions. No, Father no. Peter. I'm talking about about the numbers <laughs> you were at. Okay, I'm trying to be fast here. I'm just this is a problem. Right, the gospel is <laughs> the gospel is coming from Luke chapter fifteen verses one through three, and then jumping all the way to eleven through thirty two. Which is the same reading we had last Saturday, and the church was like, in case you fell asleep during Mass on Saturday, we're doing it again this week. <laughs> we're gonna, which I thought was funny. We're just going <laughs> to launch in for the other part. It's I an love important it. One. it. It um, it is. It's a. Uh, it's like, man, I, I've been really affected by the readings um, of of repentance and the call to repentance oh and my. the the call um to turn your life around during Lent and this mm. really like. And this intense way and seeing it in the lens of, of the Exodus and, 
and all the work, the grand works of God in the Old Testament. It's just really, it's just really powerful. But we're um, in Yeshua. Let's get into Joshua. No, dude, that is powerful. We're at a really, speaking of that, yeah. um, this is a really unique spot in the book of Yoshua. Joshua, Joshua, of course, is, Joshua, I think, had one of the hardest jobs in the Bible because he was the guy who had to to take up the baton from Moses. He had to fill the shoes of Moses. Man. So Moses is gone. Joshua, you up. <laughs> and he's like, well, I don't. It's it's actually funny. Throughout um, the whole first part of the book of Joshua, <laughs> yeah, that's a really great point. God is constantly telling Joshua, "Do not be afraid. Fear not. Have courage." And he keeps having to sort of repeat this mantra because that would be a really terrifying job. Moses literally shepherded the people for forty years, parted a sea, brought down manna from heaven, water from a rock. I mean, did all of these things, led them through the promised land, led them to the promised land through the wilderness, and now this guy's got to take up the baton, which yeah, would be an incredibly hard job to do. It's like following John Paul II, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a pope, Rat- Ratsy, Ratsy. It's hard. Um, so where Benny. we are right now is just as they are, the people of God have just crossed the, the Jordan river into the promised land. So this is literally the first time they've actually gone into it. And what, what's been happening is, so, you know, you had Moses who led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, through all the things, right? The giving of the law, all the stuff. But we had these stories upon stories of all the unfaithfulness of Israel, Right. And they would not follow God. They would, you know, we talk about how Israel was not permitted to, or this generation was not able to enter into the promised land, right? And, you know, this this came up in a class I was teaching recently. Why wasn't, why weren't the people allowed to enter the promised land? We see it as the sort of punishment, right? That they weren't permitted, they had to die off in the new generation. They were, they and they alone were able to go into the promised land. But if you think about it, the Israel, the generation that came out of Exodus, God's really not punishing them by not letting them go into the promised land. He's simply is simply giving them what they have continually asked for. Remember their whole mantras as they've come out of slavery, like, we want to go back. We don't want to go. You brought us out here to die. We don't want the promised land. I mean, and the straw that kind of breaks the camel's back is when they're on the borders of the promised land, they send in those 12 spies right, to go and, and check out the land. And the people are too strong. And too... and they're like, we don't want it. We want to go back. We we can't. There's no way. And so we read this sometime again as punishment, but God's like, fine. You don't want to go to the promised land? You won't go to the promised land. Case closed. Done. I'm not going to force you. So he waits for a new generation to go into the promised land. But this isn't a case of God being mean or, you know, some some abject punishment. It's just not. It's that they refused. And when we refuse to follow God's will, when we refuse to go to the sometimes scary but always amazing places he wants us to go, he's never going to force us. He's not going to make us go there. And so finally the new generation has come. And the, the only two of the 12 spies they came back and said, yeah, no, it's too much. It's They're too powerful. They're too strong. But God told us to do it. Yeah, everything all of those other guys said about the terrifying nature of the promised land, it's all true. But the only difference is that God told us that this is our land, so we should listen to him. You know you know, one idea that I, I will always remember is 40 days in the desert is super different than 40 years because the people didn't know this strong Hebrew nation I mean, they maybe heard about them a little bit on the way in, but then you have a crazy nation of really strong Israelites waiting on your borders for yeah. forty years. You're gonna you're gonna get yourself psyched up because you're like, Dude. man, these people are coming. Versus like, this you, is my you, whole theory on this, yeah, that, that if they'd have gone in initially, they wouldn't have had to fight a single battle. I don't believe there would have been any bloodshed if right. they'd simply taken the land. I think 
Because Rahab, the prostitute, remember who takes in the, the, the spies later on, says, hey, we all heard about you guys. We know your nation. We heard what your God did in Egypt and our hearts melted. Right. I think they would have. That was God's plan. Because remember, the, the whole point of, of the nation of Israel being the nation of Israel was not to go out and conquer other nations. It was to win the hearts of the other nations. And the way to win the hearts of the other nations was to, sh- I mean, the way that politics worked in the ancient world was if you were the mightiest nation, it meant that your gods were the mightiest. And so God, if God proved himself to overthrow the most powerful nation on earth, which is Egypt, that that meant that Israel God, Israel's God was the most powerful God. And so everyone said, yeah, maybe that's the God we should be following. But then Israel blew it and they refused to follow him. So the God who overthrew the most powerful nation on earth, Israel's like, eh, we don't know if you're going to take us that far, though. We don't know if you're going to let us cross that river into that town over there. And then the other nations are like, well, yeah, why would we follow your God? If you don't even follow your God, why on earth would we do it? Which is such a, a really important point to evangelization. If you and I don't believe that the church is what Christ promises that it is, mm-hmm. then how on earth is the rest of the world ever going to be convinced that it is? Right. If we don't trust Jesus, if we don't trust the church and actually have faith that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, then there's no way anybody else is going to. Right. That's the underlying moral to this whole story. But now... At this point, they've gone into the <laughs> wow. land. You said it. Joshua, just like Moses, he actually parts the Jordan River, which would have been at flood stage at that point. Um, so it would have which been, is pretty know. impressive. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's not the Red Sea, but it's... <laughs> at flood stage, before the, the time of modern irrigation system, it would have been probably over a mile wide. Wow. Just for perspective. Because it's the mo- one of the most irrigated rivers on Earth now, but it wasn't then. We also know it's the fall, so it's spring. It, it's flood stage. So right, I bet Jericho, yeah. So Jericho was probably like, well, yeah, they're over there, but there ain't nothing they're going to do now because it's how they're going to cross it, right? And then they do, but it's much more impressive than it seems. So they get there, and that's when Joshua says, "Okay, the Lord said, today I've removed the reproach from Egypt. Egypt is out of you now. The whole journey of the Exodus has not just been getting Israel out of Egypt, but getting all of the Egypt out of Israel, right? Mm. And this is the moment that Joshua was like, okay, now it's gone. It's it's out. We got to start again. So they camp at this place called Gilgal, which may, literally means the rolling place, <laughs> which the play on words here is that it literally says in Hebrew, I have rolled away the reproach from Israel, of Egypt from you. I like and then we hang out at the rolling spot. Gilgal sounds Gilgal. like... Um, Galgal is to roll. So it's a play on words. Galgal and Gilgal, it, that's onomatopoeia. That's Hebrew onomatopoeia. Let's be honest about this. This is what to it sounds like. Rolling sounds like that. Gal If there's gull, like a gull, nail gull, in gull, your tire. Gal gal So they're camped out, and it says they celebrated the Passover, which is incredibly significant. Because I don't know if we talked about this or not. Well, do you know? Now, presumably, the Passover is celebrated every year because that's how Israel's supposed to do it. Right. But in the Old Testament, do you know how many times it's mentioned? that the Israelites celebrate the Passover. No, this is a fun fact. Six times. No. There are six explicit celebrations of the Passover in the Old Testament. Are you kidding me? And they always happen at really important moments of redemption. Now, presumably, again, they're celebrating it every year, but it's mentioned only six times, which means that when Jesus celebrates the Last Supper, it's the seventh Passover in the Bible. That's totally is freaking me out. Wow. That's like talk about an amazing study. The the Passovers. It's that's cool. a that's a book. It's cool. Anybody write a book? I don't know. You should do it. 
I, claim it. Name it and claim it. Name it and claim it. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, we could talk forever about that. Yeah, yeah. On the 14th day of the month, that's when you're supposed to do of Nissan, which is when you're supposed to do it. And you have to drive one there to it's, get there. It, it also commemorates the first time in the, the whole history of the Hebrew people that the first compact car was, was imported on the month of Nissan. <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay. Uh, on the day after the Passover, it says they ate the produce of the land because they're in the promised land now. And this is where I think it's really interesting. On that same day after the Passover, which they ate the produce of the land, the manna ceased. The bread that came down from heaven that's been raining down from heaven for them for 40 years, yes. it stops. It's done. Because the manna, as as beautiful and as miraculous as the manna was, the manna, make no mistake, was a stopgap measure. It was temporary. It wasn't like, this is it. I mean, right. it was bread coming down from heaven, but it was like weird foamy bread, you know, and even the word manna, which means what, what is, is it? it? Yeah. They're like, what is this? But the whole point is that you have this whole generation of Israelites that was content to live on the what is it. And God's like, no, you guys, that's like the appetizer. It's just the teaser. It's what I'm doing. It's, it's like the, the Fritos that you eat on the road trip on the way to the place I'm taking you. Mm. Don't settle for the Fritos. Like We're going to the place where there's produce and land and flourishing, and I'm going to give you all of this stuff. There's going to be a time when the manna, you're going to be like, oh, the manna. Yeah, that was great, but man, nah. Bread. <laughs> Look at what we have now. Yeah. But it's this amazing point where God is actually ushered in this thing that he's been pointing toward for so long. And not just since the beginning of the Exodus, since the time of Abraham, when God promised Abraham, hey, your descendants will have a land that is their own. You know, it's funny, at the tail end of, I think it's in Deuteronomy, um, there's these commands in Deuteronomy that are given during the time of the first Israel Exodus generation that they can't fulfill. And actually scholars go crazy because they're like, oh, the Bible's contradicting itself and there's you know this, this later editor who messed it up and blah, blah, blah. But there's a feature in the book of Deuteronomy that there's a bunch of commands that they're given that Israel can't follow until they're in the promised land, which is meant to be this kind of pain of, wow, I actually can't follow the laws that God gave me until I actually trust him enough to let mm. him take me home. Mm. But we can't do these things until we're actually in the land. Dude, that's interesting. I'm getting scuba certified this year, and I have to take my <laughs> tests online, and I can't do my open water dive until next January. It's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's similar. Yeah, 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 Taking yeah. a scuba test online is the same as following these commandments in the Exodus generation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a... It's pointing toward this thing that you're like, right. I, I get this is going to be so cool. Right. But there's no... I mean, you can't... Even in a pool, like you can do a scuba cert certification in like a swimming pool, but it doesn't compare like being in the ocean, yeah, right? The, yeah, it's... God it's, wants to take you to the ocean, man. Right. Like, that's the, that's the whole thing that I'm like, man, this is like... Huh. It, it's really hard to point towards something. Of course, we're in the midst of it. Yes. And we're at, and isn't it funny that we go into the response to Islam and the response is taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Right. And we're like, I can't taste and see the goodness. I'm in the desert. Well, the only way to taste and see the goodness of the Lord is to put your total and complete trust in God to lead you to the scary place. Mm. Because after that point, that's when you can taste the produce of the land. That's mm. when they finally get to feast. But it requires a big step of faith yeah, to get does. through that wall, to get over that river that is in flood stage that looks absolutely and utterly impossible to cross. Right. And then God separates the water. Right. But it kind of requires that first step, right? It does. Like, all right, let's go. Yep. And let's start moving. And once we start moving, then he's going to part the water. 
but it requires the first movement. Right. And then we can taste and see. So the only way we can taste and see the goodness of the Lord is the trust that the goodness of the Lord is actually present in the place that I'm not sure I want to go. Right. If that wasn't convoluted. No, right? that's, that's, I mean, how, how important is us, is it for us to really, really listen to what you mm. just said? Because, um, isn't that's what, that's what I tell my kids every day. Just listen to us. <laughs> How important. Well, I mean, listen to me. it's it's like when you're in the midst of Lent and you're really struggling to fulfill the promise that you made at the beginning of Lent. Yep. I actually think that that if you're struggling to fulfill the promise and you're finding yourself encountering the weakness of your own life, that you know that on the other side of that, there's something that demands some level of trust that is really hard to get to, that you're doing something good. Yes. Right. right. Like, like, like I, I just find myself in these places where I'm like, it's the oh. candy in the church hall after the Easter vigil. Right. That's what we're trying to get to, the M&Ms. <laughs> no, I want to get I'm to the kidding. vigil and celebrate that <laughs> with kidding. heart-made beer. Oh, come on, I'm kidding. I, whatever. I don't oh. think it's funny anymore. I, I don't do think th- you're funny. Anymore. I think it's very funny. <laughs> I do too. I, lo- I love you. Thank you. You're a good person, despite <laughs> what everybody else says. <laughs> Dang. I, I always oh, hated I that one, but I kind of always liked it too. Because you're like, who else is saying that I'm not a good person? You're like, you're like, no, no, oh. I'm, I'm really just razzing you. Are you though? I am See, just razzing you. Then we all get spun out. We're like, oh shoot, everybody's saying bad things. <laughs> I know. It's like, how easy is it to just one little sand? Pretty easy. Yeah, which, uh, um, so Jason, the, I think that's all I have to say about the psalm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a fitting capstone for the first reading. Yeah. It's a, it's a fitting commentary, I suppose. Yeah. Which, but, but just to, not to drive home this point overly, but I mean, it's to leave on that point, we are living sort of in the point where we are being told to taste and see the goodness of the Lord, which we can do to some small degree. Right. But we can't do it in its fullness yet. So this psalm is telling us to do something that we're not fully capable of doing yet. Right. Which is really important because to the degree that we get really comfortable here, we're never going to be longing after what God has waiting for us. Right. You can, the, you can take your scuba test. You can take your scuba test, but you still ain't gotten in the ocean. Yeah, you ain't seen You're not really coral scuba-ing. Yet. Right. Yes. Which is the Exodus generation. They were content to stay in the wilderness. We'll just stay here. It's cool. We don't. That's too scary over there. I don't know if I want to go in the ocean. I'm just going to stay here online and do scuba diving virtually. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm going to put on my scuba dive virtual helmet, you know? Right. right. So brothers okay, and so, sisters, whoever is in Christ is a new creation, Corinthians. Uh, one thing to say about 2 Corinthians, we've been in 1 Corinthians for a while now, right? And I don't know the transition in the community between the first one and the second one. Oh, it's bad. Because they like they it's tank they tank between one and two. Like they didn't listen to him in one, did well, they? Well, okay, if you think about it, so they're, they're, by the time you get to First Corinthians, we're already at least on letter number three, which is what what we kind of lose sight of because in First Corinthians, yeah. Paul quotes a bunch of things that they said to him. He's oh. responding to stuff. So presumably Paul said some stuff, they wrote some stuff back, he's responding to it. That's the only one we have, so we call it 1 Corinthians, but it wasn't the first one, because he quotes stuff. And in 1 Corinthians, he basically lets them have it, right? Right. He, he's like, you He guys, builds them up and says, hey, you guys are so <laughs> smart, but you are dumb. Yeah, but you're dumb, you're not wise, you're, you're eating this meat, you're, you want, you know, you're, you're feet in both sides of it, you want to go to the pagan ceremonies and you want to be faithful, you're like the Exodus generation, you're going to get wiped out by the flood, you know, all these things, it's... It's rough. And so right. you can imagine to a people who clearly in Corinth are fairly big headed, who think a lot of themselves, which is precisely what Paul is trying to tear down. 
how they're going to receive a letter like 1 Corinthians. He called them unwise. He called them babies. He excommunicated somebody. So they don't respond. We don't have the letter in between. But we know 2 Corinthians, and by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, we know that something has completely fallen apart. Right. Because particularly in 2 Corinthians, Paul is on the absolute defensive. Mm. And what they've done is they've taken the message that Paul gave them, and they've turned it into an ad hominem attack. And they're like, no, it's you. You're a useless apostle, Paul. You are worthless. Think about it, Paul. You're telling us all this stuff. You're telling us that we're not wise, that we're babies, blah, blah, blah. But think about you. And they turn it back on him. And they're like, you, you call yourself an apostle. You call yourself a preacher. But you, you're not well-spoken. And Paul actually admits to it. He's really good. He's a really good writer. He writes a mean letter, an epistle. But he's not necessarily very good in person. And he'll admit that. It's, they it's, call him a paper tiger, right? You're really good on paper, but in person you just don't hold up. Well, and I, I wonder if that's why everybody was like trying to kill him all the time. Probably. Because like he, he has all these ideas, but he's he really can't cerebral. get them he can't get them out very well. And yeah, so, maybe. so then he so then when he says them out loud in front <laughs> oh, of everybody, shit. they're just like, Kill uh, this guy. This guy maybe. is is inarticulate, short and bald and fat. He's Danny DeVito. I actually think it's the best Danny DeVito. I don't. I don't know why. Sometimes I think of him as Danny. That DeVito. really got me. <laughs> oh man, that really got me. Um, I don't know how to recover. That. <laughs> I wonder. Now, who knows? And we're who, we're, who, we're who, in speculative land. Who right wrote now. the book of Corinthians? Paul did. Okay. We're in speculation land right now. Okay. Right. Obviously. Speculative. Because, yeah, yeah. Speculative land. But I wonder, and I could be wrong. Who knows? Okay. If part of the the reason people flip out and riot and want to kill him is because they're actually seeing this person who like for the eyes of the world, doesn't seem like he's very much. He's, he's not impressive. impressive. He's not well-spoken, but he's saying these things that are convicting them profoundly. Right. And they don't know how to reconcile the fact that you're not what you, you're not this huge, larger-than-life prophetic figure, but you're saying these things that are true, and I don't like it. Mm. And I wonder if, I, I, who knows, but if there's an incongruity there, because that's what the Corinthians are picking up on. They're like, look, you're always in prison. You're not well-spoken. You're sick a lot. You're always getting beaten up and shipwrecked and everything else. And it's, it's this idea. It's kind of the health and wealth gospel sort of a thing, right? right? They're like, if God really is on your side, then how come you're a complete disaster? If you really are this supposed great apostle, how come you suffer so much? Mm. And one of the things I love so much about 2 Corinthians is that is this very kind of autobiographical uh, epistle, but it's, it's this epistle where clearly Paul, in the course of writing to the Corinthians, is actually trying to work this stuff out in his own spiritual life. Mm. Yeah, why does it stink so much? If I really am following what God wants for me, why do I suffer so much? I really, I am shipwrecked all the time. I am getting beat up all the time and imprisoned, and I'm constantly getting beat up. And he comes to this conclusion, you can see him work through it throughout the letter, that no, actually, that's what it means to be conformed to Christ. Because Christ was beaten and bruised and suffered. And so to be perfectly conformed to him, I enter into that. And then, you know, it's where he has that famous line. He's like, I'm like a jar of clay. And the jar, it's sort of that band, that Christian band from the 90s that I actually liked a lot. I'm not, I'm just going to say. But that's where they get their band name is that I'm, he's like, I'm just a little clay pot that's beat up and scratched and not that impressive. But it's what I hold inside that's impressive. Yes. Because it's not about me. And so he's working all these things out for the Corinthians as well, but, but himself too. And he says, okay, what I've realized is, and this is where we pick it up, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. All the old things have passed away. And actually, I think we've talked about this before. There is one grammatical rendering that you can read that sentence, whoever is in Christ, new creation. 
that in in the Greek there's not necessarily the connecting verb, right? But simply, if there's somebody in Christ, the new creation is present. Mm. It is there. It's one grammatical possibility. Mm. The old things have passed away. There's new things. The new things have come. You've crossed the river Jordan, even though it seemed impossible, even though it hurt, even though it's painful, and you were bruised and you were beat up, and you've been wandering in the wilderness for forty years, and you're hot and you're dusty. Guess what? You've crossed the river. You're in Christ. There is the new creation. You were in the midst of it. And it's like he says back in Romans, we have, we, we have access now to this grace in which we stand. All we have to do is reach up and taste and see, and we have access to the goodness of the Lord. We can't see it in its fullness yet. Right. There's still a veil over our eyes. But you need to realize, Corinthians, that my beat upness and sufferingness and poor speech and everything else is simply me being conformed to the one that I represent. Because mm. they're like, you don't look like a King David. You don't look like a Moses. You're not. Your face isn't glowing when you show up. Like you know, when Moses received the law and stuff, you're you're a mess. And he's like, exactly. That's exactly why, because that, in that, despite me, I am a new creation. And wherever Christ is, there is new creation because he's done this. He's reconciled himself. He's helped us cross the river. He's brought us across the river. Right. And now it's time to start celebrating the feast. And this actually all works theologically because even in the first reading, when they come into the promised land, they celebrate the Passover. It's like the first thing they do is not just have a celebration, but it's also preparatory. But they haven't conquered the promised land at all. They haven't even taken Jericho yet. They've done nothing. It's not their land. Right. And so they're living in the place where we live. We've crossed the river. We're in the promised land. The fight is still ahead of us. It's still all there. But guess what? Christ has brought us home, even though home doesn't quite feel like home yet. There's a lot of work to be done. Mm. So we're going to taste and see, even though we haven't seen the end of it yet. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, taste and see. Yeah, I'm a mess. I'm a beat up, scratched jar of clay, but I know what I hold within me. Mm. And then nobody can take that from me. So I will move forward. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Wow. Boy, it makes more than sense. It's, um, <laughs> I don't know it's, what it's, <laughs> that sentence means. I don't either. It's, a, it, 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 it's not just rational, but that it touches my heart a little mm. bit to say, yeah, okay, we are going to celebrate and we are going to be thankful. And like oftentimes people will use the kind of period we're in, like the cleansing of the Shire. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but I kind of don't understand that one, whereas I understand what you're saying a little bit more is the celebrating of the Passover in the promised land that right. we become these new creations and that, right. that it does, that it's, it's still pretty raw. It's right. still, and, and that, that, that it almost like the, the new creation, so new creation is all around us it is everywhere yeah. it is it, it is redeemed i was actually thinking about that as i was skiing in vale i was like this creation is redeemed mm. and and how powerful is i'm getting sunburned and having to <laughs> utilize my helmet while flipping forward on an icy oh, catwalk you know like this this is this, this is redeemed creation and it's yeah. all part of um it's all part that's me um um it's all part of this plan of god and it's it's um it's beautiful but We've got work to do, and 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 I think that, that that like that's actually part of the what we see in the gospel today. I think it's I I didn't know how to segue into the gospel because yeah. I kind of have other things I would love to say about the prodigal son on its own, but I actually don't think this is quite the appropriate schema for that. Right. The thing I love about the prodigal son it's the it's the reading. Yeah, I mean we've all heard it a million times. Yes, of course. Please, but <laughs> but in the midst of these other readings, it actually. Takes on a new it light. It takes a new light a little mm. bit. Yeah. Because what you're seeing here, I think, is what you're what you're getting at, right? 
even as the prod, and we know this, right? There was a man who had two sons. The younger of the sons asked for his inheritance, basically said his father was dead to him. He wanders off, goes to a far off land, squanders it, you know, sin, everything else. He finds himself in want. He's feeding the pigs, which is the lowest thing a Jewish boy could do. And he's like, okay, I'll go try to hire myself back to my father as a slave. Right. Um, where was I going with that? I don't know. I had a really good point that I was picking up on you. What was your point? Well, be? well th- this is the thing is the work that we're doing uh, in the, in the midst of the, the new creation yeah. is actually like, this is what's so hard is that we're, we're not necessarily meant to be embattled in the same way that Israel was in the taking of the, of the Holy land. Right. The taking the, the embattled that we, we have been shown in Jesus Christ is actually to receive and to the, receive the sin of the other. Mm. See, Jesus received the sin of the other mm. for mercy and forgiveness. Mm. So the father mm. in the prodigal son story, what does he do is he receives the sin of the prodigal son. He receives it yeah. if, with, with this view of restoration and inviting into the new creation. And, and, and so, so like what happens is that, is at the end of it, we see this, this invitation of saying, man, okay, th- what's really hard about your brother is that we are celebrating. He was dead, but now he's alive. How do you receive one who is dead to, so that they may become alive again? And that's actually a really crazy, that's a, it, it's so much further than what we see in the invitation and the preparation for, in, in the Old Testament for what we're actually doing now. It's, it's actually a really powerful, it's a powerful invitation that is, that's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what I'm thinking about. So there's all these, I, the, the taking on of the sin, right? It's almost the opposite of that. So when the son shows up, he's, he throws himself in his face and he's like, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Take me back as your slave. And the father picks him up, right? Puts his robe on him and the ring on his finger, which means that's the moment that the father literally clothes the so-called dead son with his identity. Right. And he now becomes a new creation. He's he's more than a son. Now he's a redeemed son. He was always the son. The identity right. was never stripped from him, never. right? Even when he abandoned it and sort of ignored it. But now his identity has actually changed and he's put on a robe and a ring and he's carried through town probably because the father needs to show the rest of the town, hey, don't mess with him because everybody would have been ticked because off. I, because I identify with him. Right. And I have placed my whole identity on him. Right. So I put my robe on him. I mean, you know, you, you think of pulling him off the ground. I think of that Rembrandt paint, painting, right, with the, the sun's just a disaster and the shoe is falling off. I love that painting because it's so, right. oh, so visceral. But, you know, I've always thought about well, why does the father put the robe on him? Oh, because he's cold in the Middle East, 180 degree heat. Or whatever, you know? <laughs> he doesn't put it on because he's cold. That's, I think that's called hyperbole. It's hyperbolic. But he puts it on him because it is an outward sign of the identity. It's not, you know, right. because everybody else is going to be looking at him like, I'm going to, I want to tear that kid apart. Like, how dare he? Right. He has brought shame and dishonor, not just on the family, but the whole town. Because he has what it meant to squander your inheritance. It's always land related. Hold and on. Alan, I, I have this thought. And if I don't do it, get it out, do it, do it, do it. spit it out. The, the beautiful moment when they put the robe on Jesus in the midst of his passion is oh. actually the inversion of this, where he actually clothes himself with all of the kingship and all of the the desires that they had before. Mm. It, like, like, like when Israel starts to stray, in, cer- in a certain sense, the kingship itself is like, it, 
it's the same expression of the spirit that we see in the Exodus of like, yeah, we want what the other nations have. We want to go return to Israel. We want to have yeah, these yeah, other yeah. things. Yeah. And Jesus, what does he do? He closes himself. Egypt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. No, keep going. So like in the midst of this, like we see the clothing and we see the, 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 the enrobing um, in this kind of contrasting fashion from what we see here in the prodigal son and what we see in Israel in its spirit of, of, of attempting to take on the identity of nations. And maybe this is taking it too far, but then Jesus takes on that identity, right? He takes on right. the robe. And then afterwards, he's actually given the, the sour, spoiled wine, which is, again, kind of an inversion of the, pro, the rich produce of the land. Uh, yes. It's the produce of the land gone bad. Right. And he takes that on. Because the other thing that I keep thinking of, and I'm not sure if this is going to land or not, but what it means to squander one's inheritance in the ancient world, and we're not just talking about a bunch of cash. I mean, yeah, that's a part of it. But inheritance in the ancient world in this context is always land-based. Right, it's the which, promised land. Well, that's why it's so shameful. To squander your land that you were to be given or your portion of the land was literally to reject God's work in the Exodus. To take the promised land that was given to you and give it back to the pagans, to give it back to the foreign nations. So the son, literally in squandering his inheritance, which was land-based, is embodying the reversal of the promised land gift. You're taking the produce of the land, all the good, everything that's happening in the first reading, and you're giving it back to the outsiders, to the other nations. That's what he's done. He's reversed the exodus. And then to come back into that identity and not just to, yeah, not, not just to be picked up, but to actually then be given back all of the riches of the land. Because what does the father do? Mm. He's like, let's eat the produce of the land. I know you gave yours away. I know you squandered it. But guess what? We still have plenty of land. We still have plenty of animals and produce and fruit because that's what God gave us. That was the gift. And the whole of what the father is doing in the prodigal son story is in a lot of ways what God did for all of Israel in the Exodus. Mm -hmm. The prodigal son is Israel. Right, mm, yeah. Which means he's all of us. He's right. the people of God who take the giftedness that they've been given, who take the gift of the promised land and their identity, and we throw it away continuously. Right. Even take the, take the Exodus generation, take the generation of Joshua, who even they make all of these compromises and fall into the sin and idolatry. Even once they're in the land, they keep wanting to get rid of it. They keep wanting to reject the gifts of God. And God keeps coming back and saying, I know you've rejected it. I know you've turned the back on the gift. But I I still want to give you more right? because I still have plenty. You're not going to exhaust my wealth. Right. You will never exhaust the riches and the produce that I have. Mm. It's not going to run out at some point if you waste enough of it. I mean, yeah. there's a certain level that we're given what we're given on this earth and we have to be stewards of it, but God's grace will never be exhausted. There's no quantity of sin that we can do that, oh, well, once you reach that point, you can't be forgiven anymore. Right. Oh, you sinned how many times? Yeah, no, you're done. There, there's no forgiveness after that point. No, it, it's a constant regifting. But this is the story of the Exodus again and again and again and again. Uh, Kenneth Bailey, one of my favorite biblical scholars, talks about how the story of the prodigal son is the embodiment of Jacob and Israel. This is the story of salvation history uh, encapsulated in this kid. Because, again, it's not a story about the kid. It's a story about the father and his abundant flowing grace and right. love. And then, of course, yeah, the older son who's ticked off, he's like, but I saw the sin you committed. I saw the way that you rejected God's gift or the father's gift. Right. And I don't want you to have it again. 
And the father's like, who are you to say what I can give and what I can't give? This parable comes up repeatedly in Jesus' teaching, right? Right. Who are you to say what riches I can shower on people? Who are you to say how much I pay my wor- my workers? It's mine to give. Right. And I'm going to give it as much as I want to. Right. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot more there. There's so well. I mean, this Obviously. is the thing: is 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 is. I how... feel like we haven't exhausted the scriptures yet. <laughs> what a dumb thing to say. There's so many aspects to this one, mm-hmm. um, and and so how do we work for not only receiving the mercy of God, but also work to be like the Father who receives the ones back? Right. It's so there's two things, and can that's you, you can, cannot give what you do not have. Can you imagine the story if the older son was side by side with the father? And they'd have taken the son arm in arm and brought him back home. Mm. Can you imagine the beauty of that son? Of the of the older son trying to be like his father rather mm. than sitting in the shadows, scowling and glare, glaring, glaring, glaring at the younger son, <laughs> judging him for his sin. Yeah. Actually trying to conform our I mean, think of how many think of that oh, this is my last thought. Think of that walk through town when the father runs out to the gates of the city to meet his son. Right. Which I think he runs because he knows he has to get there before anybody else does. Who lest, will lest tell they him he's wh- cut off. Whoop him up. Right, was they whoop him up. But he gets there first and then that walk through town, which they're all looking, everybody's looking out their windows, everybody stops their work, they put their tools down. Like, I just imagine everybody stops in the town and they're watching this. And I wonder what they're thinking. Like, what a, what a pushover. Like, I can't believe that father is totally being taken for a ride. Like, his son right. totally used him. He's completely being trampled. Again. And he put his robe on him again. What a loser. Mm. What, a, what an embarrassment. And then all of a sudden, I hear what the Corinthians are saying to Paul, which is the exact same thing. You are so beat up. You keep getting abused. You keep getting thrown under the bus. And you're telling me you're God's apostle? Mm. And he's like, yeah, I am, because that's what we do. Right. And that's what it looks like when you conform yourself to God. Man, I was in a, I was in a meeting the other day, and, and uh, I was exerting Catholic moral teaching on, on some stuff. And, uh, uh, and it, was a, it was a heated debate. And uh, when it came down to it, I just was like, you know what? To be Catholic is embarrassing. Absolutely, it's, em- it. it's it's just embarrassing. And somebody who wasn't Catholic s- spoke up, and they said it shouldn't be embarrassing. And a Catholic across the table turned to me and said, "Yeah, it is." But and it I, is, and and, I, and, yeah. and we looked at each other, and we knew, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, and the, and the, there is sort of the inherent knowledge. We we know, we know, we, we know. Like it's know. you know what? Because I'm you know what? I'm a mackerel snapper, baby. I, you know, as, as, as they said back in the day, too. Did they? They did actually. That was a that was mackerel a, snapper. Mackerel snapper. Yeah. Mackerel snapper was a uh, was one who ate fish on Fridays, and so they'd call. I've it heard a, of the a, fish eaters. Fish eaters, but yeah, they would. I've never heard the term mackerel snapper. Mackerel snapper was like a, it. Were derogatory, but well, I'll take it. That's the thing is that it's it, it's beautiful, but I will tell you what: when it all comes down and everything is over, and you do not know where you could possibly go. Preach it. Th- that's when you come to the mackerel snappers, to those, to the ones. <laughs> well, that's true. To the to the ones who know what mercy really actually is, and who know what suffering really is. Absolutely, who are who are that's who are beat up, broken, yeah. um, messed up, and who don't look all that great. Right. But they but their spirits are right, and that's the that thing is, is true. And that and that's what it means to enter into the new creation. And like, yes. and so that's, that's the thing. That's our invitation. And we will always invite people to do the new creation because that's what we are. And that's like, we have no choice. Yeah. All we're doing, all we are is vessels of it. Right. So yeah, come to it. 
Yeah. And we'll be walking through town, the ones who look like idiots. If you want to know where to find us. <laughs> yep. And we, that's us. We will harbor you. Yeah, we will. So. Well, we ought to. But we will try until the moments that we fail at it and we sneer at you. And, and then hopefully we can get picked back up ourselves and, and reminded, no, right. shelter. And we're going to write letters to you. That's our, This is our little Corinthians letter oh, to Corinthians. remind you, you know what? Yeah. Drop drop the expectations and receive them back. Yeah. Take your robe off. Put it on somebody else. Yep. Mm. Well, on that note, hopefully some of you will see Father Peter in Seattle this Friday. Hopefully we'll see lots more of you next Thursday, April 4th, for our live Thank you guys. Trying to raise $20,000 in 24 hours for the ministry here. Yeehaw. Have an amazing fourth Sunday of Lent, and we'll be back next time. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org A-I-C-T. You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org, and you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.